Well, amen. How are y'all doing today? Let's see. Am I on? Yes. Awesome. Well, we're continuing week two in this series that we just began on the book of Proverbs. And um, this is a challenging book. I think uh, we've kind of felt that as we've been looking at it to, to take, you know, 12 weeks on like we're doing because, you know, it's just different every week. It's, sometimes it's different every proverb, and it's f- hard sometimes to trace themes. And um, today, the, the verses that I'm going over do have a kind of consistent uh, theme that they string together. And so hopefully we can, uh, we can engage that together this morning. We'll be in Proverbs 3. So go ahead and pull out your Bibles if you have them with you. Open to Proverbs chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 8 together. Let me read it for us. Let's see what happened there. There we go. Wait. There we go. Um, okay. Proverbs 3.1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let, um, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. I don't know why it keeps going to that every time I click it. Um. Should we reset it? Let's see. Here, let me grab my phone. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. I can use my phone. We do have a first Wednesday service coming, <laughs> and you should come to it. It's going to be awesome. Andy, will be, Andy Shoup will be speaking. The Holy Spirit just really wants you to know about this service. It's working. Sweet. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Far Perkins, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Of course, the well-known verse you've heard most of your life in the church. And in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Verse seven and eight, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and medicine to your bones. So there's an interesting dynamic going on here in these verses. It actually carries on to verse 12, where there's this interplay between the even and the odd verses. So in the odd verses, it's pretty much what's the human responsibility, what's on you to do. And then the even verses speak of what's God's responsibility and what God does. So for example, verse 1 my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And what is God's response? To give us length of days, years of life, and peace. And then verse three, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then God's response, so you'll find favor and good success or good report in the sight of God and man. Verse five, in the beginning of verse six, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and then God will make your path straight. Verse 7, again, what we're to do, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, turn away from evil, and that will mean healing to your flesh, medicine to your bones. Raymond Ortland points out that the idea here is basically this, that Solomon's saying, um, he's not saying, do this because I said so. He's saying, do this because it will help you. And there's this interesting kind of dynamic of a father-son image here, right? So he begins saying, my son. And whether that's a biological son or, or more likely the reader of the proverb who's a disciple, as it were, um, of, of Solomon and, and the sages. And he's saying, look, this, don't just do this because I said so. Don't just do this because dad said so. Do this because this really is the healthiest way to live life. This really is health and refreshment and favor and um, straight paths for you for the rest of your life. So I like that setting of this scene. There's a, there's a story of a guy who one time was out golfing with his friend, and um, he, was, he was lining up his putt, and then he saw this funeral procession go along the, the street right next to the golf course, and as he was looking at the funeral procession, he, he put his club down and he, you know, took off his hat, got on his knees and prayed a prayer for the person who was being taken off to be buried. And uh, his friend with him just said, wow, that was incredible. That's like the most moving thing I've ever seen, that you would like stop what you're doing and, and pray a prayer for this person. Um, I can't believe you did that. And the guy said, yeah, well, we've been married for 35 years and thought it was the least I could do. We are to have fiery love. And Proverbs 3, 3 says this, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you or abandon you, is another way it's translated. Bind it around your neck. Write it on the tablet of your heart. Um, and this, this, this word loving kindness or steadfast love can kind of be translated either way because it has both the idea of loyalty and both the idea of kindness. And so depending on the translation, you'll see it translated differently. And, you know, so many people in the world just, they don't know what to do with kindness. So many people in the world have had so tragically few experiences with kindness and love. And when they experience it, it just, they don't know what to do with it. I remember a time where uh, I had a stint for four months where I was working um, at Starbucks while also pastoring. And there was one day this, uh, this girl who was a coworker of mine. So at Starbucks, you get your, like, your tips are divvied out, and it's just divvied out e- evenly um, from like the past week. And so she had got, we'd all gotten 25 in cash. And so someone had stolen or she had lost uh, her $25 out of her pouch. And she was so, like, so down. I mean, just like, broken over it, and she was behind on everything in life, her rent and everything else, and, and me and her were in the back because we were taking our 10-minute break at the same time, and she was just so downcast, and I, I just said, well, here, take mine, and I gave her my $25, and she was just like, wait, what? You can't do that, and I was like, why not? <laughs> like, it's just $25. Take it. It's yours, and she's like, you, I can't believe you would do that, and I remember just being so shocked at how shocked she was, because, um, I mean, I've grown up in, in the church. I've grown up around people who are so kind and generous and loving my entire life. And it was such not a big deal to me, but such a big deal to her. 
And so many people in the world, that's their experience. They are tragically bereft of kindness, and they don't even know how to take it when it comes. You know, we, we, I, I was a, a pastor, and she was an atheist lesbian. We couldn't have been more different, except for the fact she looked like a dude. <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> but uh, so many people just need that. They just need a sense of, like, an oasis of love and kindness in their life. And when that happens, usually you find favor in their eyes, as verse 4 says. You'll, if you... If you live faithfully and with loving kindness, steadfast love, you'll find favor in the sight of man and God. Now, one of the things we'll probably hit multiple times in this series is the truth that uh, Proverbs are not formulas, like Pastor Bart said last week. They're general truths. It's generally true that if you're a kind, loving person and faithful to people, then they will, you'll find favor in their eyes. Uh, but it's not necessarily true. Um, you know, for example, uh, my wife Jordan is like the kindest, friendliest person in the world. To know her is to know this is true. Um, and uh, it took a full uh, 20 years for Jordan to come across a living, breathing person who didn't like her. And uh, so there was this person in college who like just, for some, just didn't like Jordan. I don't know if this person was human, but they did, they did not like Jordan. And Jordan was like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, someone doesn't like me. And I, I remember being like, this guy's just bizarre. That's all there is to it. I mean, she was friendliest in high school who's who and all the rest. So it is possible to be a really kind person and not be liked or loved or, or in, favored in people's eyes. But it's generally true, right? If you live this way, you'll find favor in people's eyes. Um, let's see. So we come back to this verse again. Um, and I love the imagery here. In fact, this is the Proverbs is the only book of the Bible that uses the imagery of binding something around your own neck, um, which is the imagery of like a yoke or something like that. Um, and that's, that's what we're supposed to do with faithfulness and steadfast love because it's almost like these are fickle things when it comes to humans. We're pretty bad at walking out steadfast love. We're pretty bad at being faithful. And so do everything you can do to keep that close. Bind that around your neck. Write that on the tablets of your heart. And this pairing of steadfast love and faithfulness is one for, for you Bible readers in the room. You know that you come across this pairing all throughout the Old Testament, right? All throughout the, the Proverbs, the Psalms, the Prophets, the historical books, the first books of the Bible, steadfast love and faithfulness. And the reason for that is likely that when God self-describes in Exodus 34, in that moment, he does it this way. So the Lord speaking to Moses says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in these things. God abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that then becomes the call throughout the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. And so that's why in Proverbs 3, 3, Solomon's saying, be like God. This is who God is. And be so serious about being like God that, you're, that you work to get this in you, get this around your neck, get this in your heart, to be like God. So, verse 4, you'll find favor and good success or good report, good rapport in the sight of God and in the sight of man. 
And I want to just camp out here for a second. Um, I found in my life, I think I may have said this before here, but I found in my life that my, um, my walk with the Lord and like the level of devotion I feel like that I have towards Jesus um, almost always is connected to some level of how much of a revelation I'm currently living in that God sees me, that God is present in watching me all the time. And that, that changes the way I live. That or the other one for me is um, having like an eternal perspective in that this life is incredibly short. Um, and this is the truth that we are all in the sight of God all the time. You probably have read the book of Kings and noted at the end of every uh, king's life, there's this appraisal of their life, right? And it's either he did what was what? Good in the sight of the Lord or in the eyes of the Lord, depending on the translation. And then the, and then the other version was he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So whether they were wicked or good, all of them were in the eyes of God. And whether they had that God consciousness or not, that was an important question, but that didn't change the fact that they were before the eyes of God. There's this... Uh, story in Second Chronicles, it says, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You've done foolishly in this. Um, there's this sense in which God's looking at everyone, but God's eyes, it's almost like God's eyes rest on people who don't lean on their own understanding, upon people who don't rely upon their own strength. That's where God's eyes rest favorably, in, the, in kind of the language of Proverbs 3. And don't you want to be that? <laughs> don't you want to be that? In, in so many ways, what the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, says is the ingredient to that is just come into touch with your own need. Be unimpressed with yourself and your own capabilities and your own strength is a humbling call, isn't it? The, um, you know, the, the, these words from Proverbs 3 just have been striking me this week. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness abandon you. Don't let them get away from you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you'll find good, you'll find favor and good report in the sight of God and in the sight of man. And there's this language in the, in the medieval church of living quorum Deo, which means living before the face of God. Living quorum Deo has to do this idea of beholding God, seeing his glory, being consumed by his greatness, and knowing that I'm constantly walking, living, breathing, acting, speaking before his face. And, and your motivation 
is to live before the face of God, pleasing and favor. Um, now, you may hear this, and you may hear, live with love and faithfulness all the time, never let it abandon you, so you can be in favor before the sight of God, and hopefully that's not immediately crushing to you. None of, laws, none of God's laws are a burden. They're all a blessing, really. Um, but I want to quickly remind you of the, of, of the person who was never abandoned by faithfulness, who was never abandoned by steadfast love. And it's in Jesus that we find a human being who always lived quorum Deo, who always lived consumed with the glory of God, and who always enjoyed the favorable side of God on him. And the beauty of the gospel, right, is that, that the call of Proverbs 3, 3 and 4, to never, ever not love again and never, ever have a moment of unfaithfulness, to never be abandoned by these things, is re-gifted to you without crushing you in the person of Jesus, isn't it? Because in him, we enter into that favorable sight. And then we say, yes, Lord, I want to be faithful all the time. I want to be loving all the time and never not loving, knowing that we'll probably not be that every second of the day, but we're re-gifted that call. Solomon goes on in verse 5 and says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So the old King James Version uh, translated this, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy steps, which is kind of where we're getting um, the, the title today of direction. And what's interesting to me about uh, direction and how God directs our steps in this, um, in this passage, which is picked up by most modern translations, is that God's direction isn't really like, okay, Lord, I've got a big decision in life, should I go right or left? That's not really the image of direction here. The image of God directing your steps or making straight your paths is God is your path clearer. So you're going through life, and the, the idea here is that the trail ahead is like hazardous, and there's a lot of obstacles and hindrances and rocks and things that will trip you up. And God is the one, the divine path clearer, who goes ahead and makes straight your path. So a crooked path is one that is trying to dodge all the obstacles and all the things in your way and just trying to make it as easy as possible. A, a, if you can walk straight, that means someone's gone ahead and someone has cleared the way for you. Someone has moved the rocks out of the way, thrown the branches out of the way so you can walk straight. And that's, what, that's the image here. It's actually is God as the person who goes ahead of you and makes your life easier, who makes your life um, less fraught with hindrance and obstacles. Um, that's, that's the idea here, that God will go ahead and do this. And again, Proverbs are a general truth, not a formula, right? Um, and it's generally true that if you uh, lean on your own understanding all life long and don't trust in God, you'll fall on your face a whole lot more than you would otherwise, right? But it's also true um, that we could think of times where people, and maybe ourselves, we feel like we've trusted in God, and we still hit a rock and fall flat on our face, right? Which is why I think it's so interesting that in the Hebrew Bible, 
Proverbs follows the book of Job. So in the Christian uh, ordering of the books of the Old Testament, Proverbs follows Psalms. Um, but it almost seems that the, the, the Jews throughout the years reading their scriptures said, okay, Proverbs is all about if you do these things, your life will turn out this way. And that's going to be generally true. But we also know that there's lots of times where we do what God says and things don't turn out exactly like we wanted, a.k.a. the book of Job, right? I mean, we're talking a man who did not let faithfulness abandon him or steadfast love abandon him, who walked and acknowledged the Lord in all his ways, who trusted God with all his heart, and he fell pretty hard, right? And so there's almost this sense in which, like, you should probably read Job before you read Proverbs, but please don't stop at Job because you'll be really depressed. <laughs> um, maybe go ahead and read Proverbs. Like, there is hope that things can go well for you if you live this way. That's kind of my, my take on that. Um, so, um, Proverbs 3, um, let's see real quick. Um, oh, can you go back for me? Go back uh, two slides. Thank you. Um, oh, yeah, okay, so verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Uh, I feel like for me, I don't know about you, but I feel like for me, um, I kind of go through life with this motto of, I want to acknowledge God in all my ways and make my path straight. And you may not have even caught the subtle difference there, right? Of, of course, what this verse is about is acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. And like so much of what this passage is about, it's entering from that place of humility. And Solomon seems to be suggesting that God's path clearing in your life follows your acknowledging him. God, God's path clearing in your life follows your notice of him. And I feel like more and more this is the journey for me in the Lord is noticing God acknowledging God, not just that he is, but who he is, how he's moving, ways he's moving. And that doesn't in any way suggest that like we know everything God's doing. I mean, that's impossible. God is working behind the scenes far beyond your ability to detect everything he's doing, right? Um, I mean, there's no way we could know all the work of God even in an individual life, much less the billions on the earth. We'll never know all that God is up to and all that God is on about, but that's not the point. You don't have to know how God is working or all the ways in which God is working, but simply that he is. And acknowledging that, yoking yourself to that attribute of who he is, that notice, that acknowledgement does something in the heart of God. He comes and removes those, those stones, those hindrances, those obstacles that were just before you. That's the picture here. And it's as we see God in this way that we slowly begin to shift our weight off of our own understanding and embrace what I'm calling the Godward lean in his direction. That's, that's the imagery here that's so beautiful to me. So again, we read verse 5, I'm kind of jumping back and forth, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Um, this is a picture right here of the Susquehanna River. I don't know if that's right. 
um, in New, it begins in New York City. It's, it's frozen over, obviously, here. Um, this is a picture of the Susquehanna that's frozen over uh, on a cold winter day. And begins in New York State, I mean, begins in New York State and goes down through Pennsylvania. I think it empties in the Chesapeake Bay. Years ago, there was a man who uh, was, came up to the Susquehanna on a cold winter day. The, uh, the river was frozen. And he wasn't from the area, and so he went to cross the river, like on, on the river itself, the frozen river. And he, but he, because he didn't know how, how thick the ice was, he got down on his hands and knees and just slowly began like feeling his way very timidly across the river at a snail's pace. And he's, he's on the ground, and he's like slowly getting through, and he hears this commotion behind him, and he looks back, and he sees this dude in a wagon drawn by four horses going right across the river. I'm sure he felt like an idiot. Um, but the guy in the wagon was a local. He knew how thick the ice was. And... So often, my trust in God looks a lot like the guy on all fours. Just, God, I, I think I can trust you for the next moment. I think I can trust you, just hoping God won't let me down. And this is why I think community is so beautiful, Christian community, because there's nothing like being around per- someone who is just <laughs> anchored in their trust in God. Who, I mean, they're a local. They know how trustworthy God is. They're, they're ready to run right out onto him and, and, and go where they're going. And, uh, and it does something in you. At the same time, you know, I think God is more gracious than we believe him to be. Um, God's never less gracious than we believe him to be. He's only ever more gracious than we believe him to be. And um, God will take you where you are. So whether you're the local who knows how strong the ice is, or you feel like you're the guy just trying to trust God again um, with these little baby steps. Uh, God takes you where you are, and never where you're not. Always where you are, and, and never even where he would have you to be. And I think that as we experience that grace, um, it softens us, and we, again, slowly begin to shift our weight off of leaning on our own understanding and embrace that Godward lean that Solomon is calling us to in this text. Verse 7 and 8, I think, kind of brings all this together. He says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will mean healing to your flesh and medicine to your bones. Trimper Longman says, The opposite of being wise in one's own eyes is to fear Yahweh, fear the Lord. The fear of Yahweh puts one's abilities and resources in perspective. So it's important to realize that the fear of the Lord is not um, like, okay, a life that's given to the fear of the Lord isn't one that implies that you have no abilities, that you're incapable of doing anything, that you've learned nothing over your life, that you are clueless about every topic. It doesn't mean anything like that. Um, The fear of the Lord just simply acknowledges that God can do everything, and God knows everything about every topic, including every topic that we don't know our topics. Like, that's what the fear of the Lord means. It means, it doesn't mean you are 
um, incapable of doing anything, it doesn't mean denying or diminishing your wisdom that, you, that you've gained over the years or the resources that are in your hand. It just simply says, here's my wisdom, here's my resources, and there's God's, right? Putting it in perspective. The fear of the Lord, again, it's not about like <laughs> embracing this kind of anti-intellectualism that a lot of critics of Christianity accuse us of, rightly sometimes. It's about being awake to reality. That's what the fear of the Lord is about. Being awake to God. Who God is, who we are, and living in that reality, in that perspective. This is what's in my hand, that's what's in his hand. This is what's in my brain, that's what's in his brain, right? That's, and that invokes this fear and awe and reverence of, of leaning his way, right? Slowly but surely and embracing that path for us. And if you're hearing this, you know, I mean, the truth is this, is humanity feels like we're just infected with this tendency to lean on our own understanding, to be wise in our own eyes, to be really satisfied with our own support, right? It's like our default. And if, you, if you're thinking, it's almost like there's some kind of sickness, then you're anticipating Solomon's next words. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and medicine to your bones. And that's exactly what it is. We are all plagued by this tendency to lean on our understanding, on our own, to support ourselves, to be wise in our own eyes. And the cure is the fear of the Lord. We're, we are all sick. <laughs> to some level, uh, and the cure is the fear of the Lord, and to turn away from evil. That will be healing. That will be medicine for you. And I've got to believe that Solomon, as he's writing you know, these words, don't be wise in your own eyes, this has got to come out of his own fight for his own soul, because we're talking about the guy who, when asked by God, what do you want? He said, I want wisdom. I mean, how easy... And how tempting might it have been for Solomon to have at some point become wise in his own eyes, to have graduated from his dependence on God. And I, I have to, and I think that Solomon really did have to fight for his soul, especially if you read um, <laughs> some of his life. Um, he, I think he was fighting for his soul his whole life long. Um, and so I'm sure there are many times, and even in this, this text, where Solomon's telling his son, whether biological or um, a disciple, you've got to fight for this. You're going you're gonna to be, especially as you gain more wisdom, the temptation will be to become wise in your own eyes. You've, you've got to resist that with everything in you. To, to, to resolve, to spend your entire life saying, I am dependent on God. I'm not wise in my own eyes, and I'm leaning on him. And that's the call in this text. Um, there's a famous composer named Felix Mendelssohn um, from the 19th century, and he uh, produced a lot of uh, renowned music in his lifetime, which was a pretty short span, um, in Europe and gained a lot of notoriety. And one day, uh, Mendelssohn went into a cathedral 
that had just purchased uh, a brand new organ, and it was an incredible instrument, very expensive, and an amazing instrument. He, he walked in there and he said to himself, I've, I've got to play this thing. This is in- incredible. And so he walked up to the guy who had been given charge as the keeper of the organ. And he said, sir, can I play your organ? And the guy said, oh, no, no, you, you can't play our organ. And he said, sir, please let me, let me just play it. And he said, I'm sorry, but we can't just let anyone walk in here and play this organ. This is a, a very expensive, precious thing. And he said, please just let me, I've got to play it. Please let me play your organ. And just to get rid of the visitor, he said, okay, I'll let you play for one minute. And Mendelssohn sat down and just <laughs> the most beautiful music this guy had ever heard started pouring out of this organ. And after Mendelssohn was done, the guy just said, who are you? And Mendelssohn introduced himself. This is a true story. Mendelssohn introduced himself, and the guy's mouth just dropped, and he realized who he was talking to. And there's times when God takes a seat, and suddenly you realize that you have been in the presence of greatness, and you didn't know it. And these are the moments that make life worth living for you. When suddenly you realize who's before you, And like the man guarding the organ, you can't help but feel a little embarrassed you didn't immediately let God perform. And I think this is what Proverbs 3 is getting at, that we would acknowledge who's before us and how that changes things, that we would increasingly realize that we are in, you are in the presence of greatness all the time. And as we more and more let that become our reality, our conscious reality, then we slowly begin to shift our weight away from leaning on our understanding and embracing the Godward lean in our lives. Let me pray for us before we transition. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful church, this community. Thank you, God, for... Um, just your presence in our midst. And Lord, I ask that in each heart, in each person today, you would wake us up to reality of who you are, Lord. Open our minds, Lord, and let us increasingly realize that as we go about our days, we are in the presence of greatness because of you. Help us to lean more into you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.